You were born with individual strengths and a unique purpose. Don't let fears, false beliefs, or life's happenings diminish your influence. It's time to live and lead for impact. Host Kirsten Ross, expert of transformation, will help you defeat the drama and overcome the trauma that can stop you in your tracks. You'll gain focus, find confidence, and take bold action. Unleash passionate, purposeful you. Let's go. Welcome to Live and Lead for Impact. I'm Kirsten Ross Vogel, your host, and this is episode 263. Today's guest is Josh Little. He's the founder of four tech companies, Maestro, Bloomfire, Quizzer, and Valley that have collectively been used by hundreds of millions of people and featured in TechCrunch, Mashable, Entrepreneur, Inc., and Forbes. With two successful exits and a third anticipated, he's currently on a mission to provide the world with a more meaningful way to communicate with his fourth creation, Valley, a video messaging app. Josh, and I can't think of a more uh, needed impact right now than working on our communication. So <laughs> I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks for joining. No doubt. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. Especially in this uh, time where we're all struggling to get face to face and find time, you know, we're, we're focused on creating a flexible way to be face to face with one another. Um, so it's been kind of fun. Yes. And, and we need to, I think, work on our communication too, and come together and remember that we're all humans uh, and right. we have lots of shared goals. Definitely. So tell me a little bit more about your work, about Valley, uh, and what impact you're hoping to make in the world with it. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, if, if you look at my work the last 15 years, it, I've been an entrepreneur. I started as a teacher and then went into the corporate world and sales and sales training. And uh, that kind of propelled me to my career as an entrepreneur. And, uh, you know, if I, if I look at my work, um, I'm an entrepreneur as in, um, the, you know, I, I, as in a painter, it doesn't matter so much to me what exactly I'm painting other than I am painting, I'm creating, I'm building, making this beautiful thing that creates value you in the world that solves a real problem that creates opportunities for others. Um, so, so that's, you know, my work. But then if you look at the theme of the companies I've built, which are uh, really focused on helping people communicate better or learn uh, from one another, uh, that's, that's kind of been the theme. So if, if you're looking at what, what impact I've, I've been looking to make as an entrepreneur, it's probably um, helping communicate better or giving people a, a more meaningful way or an easier way to to communicate um, and, and do what they're doing, which is very much the thesis of Volley. As you mentioned, it, it's a video messaging app. So uh, we take turns just like any other conversation in Volley, except we record our turn with video. Um, and that gives us kind of the best of both worlds, the richness of talking like Zoom, but the flexibility of texting or emailing us because it's asynchronous. You you don't have to do it at the same time. I can share a thought that I'm thinking about in the morning and you can respond in one minute, 10 minutes, 10 hours. It, it doesn't matter. Um, we're, we're just, we're moving the conversation. We're volleying back and forth uh, as time goes on. And, and so we're seeing um, a lot of folks, uh, of, of course, teams are using it because it's hard to communicate right now, especially for remote teams and loneliness is at an all-time peak. So volley helps teams feel better connected, but we're also seeing it used for, uh, for coaching, asynchronous or group coaching or 
uh, learning communities or um, uh, education. So a, a number of different uses where um, we can improve communication and help people be face-to-face flexibly. So that, that's the big idea of Volley and what I've been working on the last uh, almost two years now. Great. So it sounds like uh, possibly are there ways to uh, send your video to to a group and individuals, it sounds like? Yeah, that's right. In Volley, you can create a space. Um, so think of a space like a, a Slack workspace or a, a Discord server, uh, just a, a place where you can invite people, where you can create channels and conversations together. So there's spaces for fan clubs and communities and teams. Um, uh, but yeah, you can you can volley with a group or volley, you know, as the messaging app, kind of like WhatsApp or, or Telegram. You can you can have one to one threads with um, anyone on the planet that that is also interested in in volleying with you. So yeah, one to one and group. Great. So I'm sure some questions that are coming up for listeners. Uh, does everyone have to be kind of a member? I mean, I'm using air quotes here, member of Volley. Uh, and is it app-based? Is it on your laptop? Tell me about that. Oh, sure. Yeah, I probably should have mentioned that. It, Volley, it's a mobile and desktop. So we have apps for iOS and, and Android, as well as Mac and PC desktop apps. And yes, you need an account. Um, just be, there's there's no anonymous experience. And, and you know, we're, we're really trying to help people connect better. Uh, Volley's really you know, used for your inner circle. It's not a social platform necessarily. So, so yes, you need an account in the app and, and that's what creates the ability to have such conversations. Um, you know, in order to have access to your camera, you need an app, you need an account. We need to know who you are. We need to know, uh, be able to send you notifications when someone sends you a volley, um, for all of those things. So, yep. The, even though you can use volley, uh, in a browser on the web, it's, the, it's much better experience in the app. Right. And so how do you distinguish uh, Valley from those other uh, resources that you talked about, like WhatsApp and Messenger and and even within Slack, might it incorporate within Slack? Yeah. But how do you distinguish? Well, Valley is a, a very much a video first communication tool, more like Snap or or Marco Polo in that you're you're using video to communicate. So in Valley, the camera is fa- you you open it up, the camera is facing you. You see your face. There's a record button below, and it it feels like that's what you should do. You should just send a video volley, even though you can write a text volley, record your screen, upload files and documents, and and we've got the full communication tool belt. But over sixty percent of volley sent are video volleys, and so. Even though you can, let's use Slack for an example, even though you could upload a video or now with their new clips, record a video in Slack, that's only for their um, paid users. Um, there's a text box at the bottom and and it just feels like that's what you should do. So most messages in, in something like Slack or WhatsApp or um, most of the Telegram or Signal are text-based messages. So it depends on what your goal is. If you're trying to uh, use the full functionality of, that uh, that tone of voice and body language can give it's it's 93% of the communication picture the words that we actually use to speak are only 7% of what's communicated in your message so if you're if you're interested in that and you you have a reason that context matters, then Volley is is your tool. Um, and so it has kind of the, the ability like Snap or like Marco Polo to, to communicate using video, but the organization of something like Slack. So you can think of it kind of combining the best of those worlds where you can create a space and have your conversations organized like that. Uh, that that was probably a long answer. Did that make sense to you, Kirsten? Oh, yeah. And I love yeah. that. I, actually, what really spoke to me right there is the organization of it, that it's going to be different um, than it sounds like just the chain of events, but kind of organized around how me, 
we might kind of keep the information in our brains, maybe. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. That, <laughs> that you're jumping into this conversation with this group or this this team um, or this person, uh, and you know they're they're organized in that way. Yeah, great, great. So tell me what uh, experiences. I know you shared that you you were a teacher, and so you really have this focus and passion for helping people learn and communicate, which both of those I love. But uh, what are some specific experiences that motivated you to? Um, and are you the developer of Volley? Uh, well, I don't code, but I'm I'm pretty good at casting an infectious vision and hiring the team. So I do uh, everything other than code. Uh, but we we do have engineers who who build the, the tool app volley uh, or or the platform. Um, and this is an interesting question. I don't know that I would have it on the tip of my tongue if you hadn't shared like some ideas of questions that you're giving because I, I don't know if I trace the the products that I've built or the companies that I've built back to specific experiences. But when you ask the question, it's like, oh yeah, I guess. I guess so. If you, if you really look back, uh, I, I, well, I mean, there up, have been some patterns, so yeah, so, yeah, yeah there, go ahead. Yeah. There's sorry. some patterns. So, so yeah, growing, growing up in, in Michigan, I, uh, I grew up in a, a a loving family, but my dad was an alcoholic. Um, and, um, he got sober just before I turned 10. And, um, that was kind of the culture of my family. It was chaos in the early days. And then it was dad trying to get well. And I went to Alatot and Alanon meetings uh, or Alateen meetings rather, which is kind of the, the family side of the AA program. And, um, and, and so that was the culture of my teenage, early teen years. Um, it was our family trying to heal. And with this, we, we had like family meetings and, and, you know, we, we started learning to talk and communicate with one another. And I guess I thought that was normal. I thought this is what all families do. They sit down once a week and anyone can say anything and, and it's okay to cry and, and we can talk about hard things. But it turns out that's pretty rare, actually, um, what I found. And, and what I had was kind of a, a master class in, in how to communicate as a, a team or a family or, or a group. And I found that in my career that I just had this gift or this ability to share, to talk about hard things, to get really to the heart of the matter. And so that's been kind of the theme of the companies I've created. If if you look at like Maestro, even my first company, it's an e-learning company. Well, why? Because it's hard to create e-learning content. No one has the expertise inside of a company. You can't find a company to do this. Man, I wish a company like this just existed. Or Bloomfire, my second company, which was a social learning platform. It's just so hard to share knowledge that 90% of what you need to know to do your job uh, you've learned from all of these random places, the, the video that that person created, the conversation you had around the water cooler, this, this text, and how do you even pull all of that together? What would it look like if we could like map our organization's collective brain and easily share knowledge with one another? So I think those things are all rooted maybe in, in kind of my experience as a child, which which you could say was, was difficult or, 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 you know, created chaos. But um, I think from that, you know, was born the, the order or the ability or superpower to, to communicate. And so uh, I'm grateful for that. And I think maybe if I could pull on a thread, that's probably the thread that kind of weaves through all of these companies, as well as volley today. It's, it's hard to communicate text and email. Don't do it. And I don't want to be back to back all day in, in meetings or face-to-face -face on zoom all day. There's got to be a better way. There's something in the middle, uh, enter volley. Love it. Yeah. So, and I, um, I so appreciate that. And I'm happy that this question kind of inspired you to take that look because so one, so many 
for sure can, um, can relate to the chaos of substance use disorder within a family, you know, whatever it is. And, um, and the gift that is available through the process of healing and engaging in Al-Anon, AA, those kinds of things. And it sounds like all the members of your family did that. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it is, um, it's unique to have great communication within families, but also I think that illustrates that out of that chaos came this opportunity for amazing growth and more vulnerability and better communication and all of that. Absolutely. Yeah. We, I, I, I've been so surprised how hard it is for someone to be vulnerable. Like one of my three core values is to play with all cards on the table. That's how I say it, but it's, it's really, my data is your data. There are no secrets uh, between us. Like I'm, it, the, I'm sharing everything, whether you like it or not. And that's a radical viewpoint, it seems. Um, and I've had co-founders who want to keep their cards as close as possible to their chest. And they, they won't even show you their card unless you like pick it off of their chest and make them communicate. And it's really hard. So I, I think that has something to do with my roots, something to do with uh, the, the culture of our family. Yeah. Well, and I love that you're providing a vehicle again, technology is so necessary right now, but you're providing a vehicle where hopefully, yeah, we're not losing all that nonverbal communication, which yes, is a majority of our communication. So I love that. It sounds like this is the blend of, you know, the functionality, like you said, of a text or an email that can be convenient, but you're not losing and giving the opportunity for all the reading in AKA taking it uh, off topic or adding in emotions that aren't there. <laughs> All of those things that we humans tend to do with uh, digital communication. Yeah. We, in fact, we just did a study of 2000 remote workers and it, it, you know, sometimes studies are not conclusive, but this one was this, uh, this was very conclusive. 99% of remote workers said that they have to clarify a message written on email or text at least once per day that you're misunderstood. And of course, those are the ones that you get a chance to clarify. I mean, most messages that are misunderstood just go misunderstood and the person is offended or you came off wrong, right? Um, but mm-hmm. those those are at least every day you're, you're misunderstood in, in the way that you, and in, in the chosen way to communicate at work, which is primarily text or, or chat, right? Um, and we all know that uh, the, the classic example here is we need to talk. Like if that's ever written in a text message or an email, there's a hundred ways you could take that. Most of them are not good. Um, but if I, if I just record a quick video message or send you a volley, that's like, Hey, we need to talk. There's no mistaking that you, you just heard it in my voice. You saw it in my eyes, you know, what's going on. I've got something cool. I figured something out and we need to talk and you should get excited about that. Right. Um, and so there's just, there is so much, it it really isn't, uh, what we say, but how we say it, that really matters. And, and Vali gives you a chance to put that in the forefront. So, and I've worked with teams, uh, for years, like about 30 years and have so many, I mean, we'll go into all of them, but I have so many illustrations of the miscommunication that happens through digital format, but I do have to share this one real, I think you'll get a kick out of this, but so I, and I have a presentation where a part of it is, is requesting that people not read in. So 
you know, don't read into the emotions, like pay attention to where you're assuming versus you're in, based in fact, and uh, sharing some of the trip ups that can happen with digital communication. But anyway, I was in a room of, I don't know, 100, 150 people. Uh, they were all leaders within one organization. And I had shared these illustrations and, uh, you know, and then just encourage, you know, phone or face to face when possible or digital where you're seeing each other. This was before COVID. But, um, but anyway, so at the end, this woman raised her hand, she was way in the back and she started telling me, well, what would you think about this? And she started relaying the contents of an email that she had gotten and her tone in the retelling of the email was very angry, very agitated. So I had to stop her and I said, wait a minute, you did say that this was an email, right? And she (laughs) said, yes. And I said, wow, like there is a lot of, uh, you know, emotion and anger, like very negative emotion coming out is in the retelling of what the word said. How do you know that's accurate? And she stopped and she said, oh my gosh, I guess. And I'm like, case in point, you know, like, thank you for like the perfect illustration. Uh, that is what we do. So, uh, so I love, um, I love Valley already. (laughs) Well, I think, yeah, most, most of our communication, we, we're not going to know it. Like it takes a lot of courage to just say, Hey man, w- the tone of your email was, was wrong. Or like, we're not going to say that we're just going to take it how we read it and, and move on with the day on. Unfortunately. Yeah. And, and imagine coaching like with, with your coaching clients, imagine trying to do that over email. Like, <sighs> That would be so hard to do. It'd be so hard to like get in someone's heart and like communicate or ask that key question. And then, you know, I've worked with an executive coach for um, my last 15 years, my last three companies, and she's amazing. Um, But Thursday at 3.30 or whenever we meet is not the time that I need her. I need her Tuesday at seven or Monday at three. And by Thursday at 3.30, something's either blown up in my face or it's blown over and it's not an issue anymore. So there is something about like the time timeliness and the quality in which we communicate. And I think that's why so many coaches are, are latching on a volley for, for their async, um, for the async. Um, there's still really good reasons to meet synchronously. Um, but also, I guess I just heard um, last week, somebody said that uh, their coaches, because uh, they, they have kind of a whole team, that they were only able to have 20 clients that each of them managed. That's about the, the uh, as many as they could manage if they were meeting weekly. But now with Volley, they're, they're each able to handle about 50 clients. And I was like, whoa, that's, that's amazing because of hopefully the, the flexibility and you're keeping the quality up. Yeah, that's great. So tell me as you think back now, we don't need to go all the way back to the childhood, but uh, share a story about one specific impact that really comes to mind that fuels your passion. And again, my hope is that if you haven't done this work, that this will inspire you to think about this. Cause I think it's so important because, you know, when we're entrepreneurs, there are going to be bumps in the road. We're going to need tenacity. And so we need that the fuel of passion to really keep us moving. And so I would love to hear uh, one story that really comes to mind for you, where you really made a difference with Valley. Um, well, with Volley, I wasn't even going there. Uh, the, oh, well, you the, can go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, well, I was just thinking, what fuels my passion? Well, what is my passion? Um, so so I'm an entrepreneur because um, I have this passion of making beautiful things. And I can satisfy that by uh, a musical performance or uh, you know, I have a little hobby pickle company. So making a beautiful jar of pickles or uh, a beautiful piece of furniture. So I really just have this drive to create things in my life. Um, and entrepreneurship just feeds that passion like 
no other. Um, and so w- when you ask what impact have I made that really fuels that passion, I think it's really making something out of nothing. And, and my mom was just a master of this. She was a scavenger. She, she used to take us dumpster diving as kids and we, we could pull things out and, and to, you know, pull a sandstone waterfall out of someone else's or a sandstone wall out of someone's yard and turn it into a sandstone waterfall in our backyard and, and do those sorts of things. So I, I really get a kick out of making something out of nothing. And that's what software is. That's what building a tech company really is. There's nothing. And then we start laying lines of code and meaning and, and telling a story about what, what problem we can solve. And, and this turns into creating value in the world that big companies or individuals can use and they're willing to pay money for that allows us to create jobs. And so I've done this now, Volley's my fourth time. I've, you know, I've built three very successful companies. And so being able to do that over and over is really what, what sort of ignites my passion. And it's really hard to, to not want to do that again, because even though I can build a cool piece of furniture or, um, you know, restore an old car or, or whatever that is, it doesn't quite make the impact as building uh, a company, which is an organization for change, um, you know, for both the, the people that work at as well as the the customers or the users who use the product. So I think it's being being seeing those things over and over that um, really fuels my passion to to create once again. That's why I thought I was done before volley, but then I got got back <laughs> off the bench and I, I, now let's let's make another one. It's time. It's time. That's awesome. Well, so I I want to I'll just quickly share. So I have two parts to helping people find their true like kind of that that sweet spot, the target, the true target bullseye. Uh, and one is the how you're spending your time. So. Uh, so that's kind of what you're describing there. Mm-hmm. Um, the other is where do you feel a call of action, call to action to make a difference with that time? So our gifts are the things that come easily to us that, you know, energize us that we love to do. So there's the, how we're spending our time is going to be around our gifting. And then the impact that we're making in the world is going to be that call to action. Like, I can't believe that this exists, or there's this thing that um, shouldn't be happening. And, you know, and perhaps we're the one uh, that should make at least a small dent in that. So what I'm hearing from you, honestly, is yes, the creating and the tech side. um, But then in the areas of communication and learning. And those are the impacts that you've continued to make over and over. Right. And I don't know uh, until this moment that I could tie all of those together. So thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. I just thought I'd been randomly (laughs) bouncing around the universe. It goes Kirsten helping me. No, there's a straight arrow shooting through all of this, man. Yes, this this is not utter chaos and been flying all over the place. (laughs) No, there are patterns. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So that's great. Um, So uh, tell me what's been your biggest internal or external challenge that you've had to overcome and how did you overcome it? Well, I mean, I've, I've had thing, I've had cancer and I'm a cancer survivor. I've, I poked my left eye out, uh, with, in a woodworking accident a couple of years ago. Those, those are external things, but honestly, they really, and I know that they're big challenges, but they really haven't had been a big thing that I've had to overcome. They were hard times, but uh, I would say, you know, I guess in relation to what we were just talking about, kind of my passion and, and what, what has fueled that, the biggest challenge that's been in the way of that is just my lack of understanding. I grew up in a place, um, I mean, you know, uh, Michigan and in, in Jackson, Michigan, there's 
there's not a lot to do there. You either work at the power company or you work at the prison. There's a state prison there, as, as you know, or. Yep. Almost ran out of a- gas there one time, actually. Oh, did, did you? <laughs> right oh, in the area. That was a whole. Yeah, that's a whole nother. Yeah, we were running out of gas. And I told my husband, like, I don't know if we want to get off on this, this exit. And there we were. I'm like, yeah, and there are not a lot of gas stations around the, the prison. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know if if there's a, if there's a breakout, they, uh, we hear the helicopters and the sirens, but I don't think prisoners want to stick around the the prison very long. I think they're just trying to get out of town. So, um, anyway, uh, that's, that's kind of the place I grew up and entrepreneur was not a word, uh, that was used uh, in my hometown, in my school, in my family, even though my mom was an entrepreneur, she did odd jobs. Um, she painted and wallpapered houses. And like I said, somebody wanted their sandstone wall taken down. She'd get her two boys out there and we'd go tear this wall out of their landscaping or we'd do whatever. Right. But she was an entrepreneur. I didn't know that. She didn't know that. That's not how she identified herself, but it took, wasn't until recent years that I was like, you know what? That, I think that was where I got it was from mom and that you could kind of do anything if you put your mind to it. And I know I'm sort of rambling uh, on your comment, but the biggest challenge I've had, or, or your question, the biggest challenge I've had to overcome is this mountain of learning of how to be an entrepreneur, how to build a company, how to lead people, how to gather the resources or the funding that you need, how to build software, like all of those things that were kind of in the way of me solving a meaningful problem for the world or becoming an entrepreneur or building a company. Like it's embarrassing, but like my first week as an entrepreneur, I like showed up at the chamber of commerce. My first day, I was like, Oh, I'm here. Tell me what to do. How do how do I start a company? And they told me about this thing called an LLC. And like, that's how far gone I was. I like, I didn't know about any of this stuff, but I, I just had this blind confidence that, well, I could figure it out. I figured out a lot of things. And so here's, here's another big mountain to climb. And, and luckily I have over the last 15 years, I've learned a lot of things, mostly the thousands of mistakes that um, you don't want to make, but then I'm able to pay that forward in helping mentor other entrepreneurs and, and help them along their path, uh, the path that I've walked over the last number of years. That's great. Well, I love that you have tenacity and are unstoppable, kind of almost unaware. <laughs> you know, and I always say like, none of us is born with that knowledge, but those can be stopping points for some people. And, uh, but you know, you got to figure it out somehow. And the best thing is I always say like, you can't answer all the unanswered questions until you just start getting in motion. And, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to see to the end of the road. There's going to be barriers. There's going to be stuff. You're going to go to, you know, over some different paths and struggles and all of that, but like, just start taking the action and let the questions come and figure them out as you go. And it sounds like that's exactly what you've done. And I love it. Well, thank you. Yeah, there's actually a story written into our our family's trust is just kind of the culture of our family that was a defining moment there. I had, is it okay if I tell it? Do we have time? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I bought a 1986 Toyota 4Runner um, and that had a blown head gasket. And I didn't know how to fix a head gasket, but I knew my friend who owned a 4Runner also worked on cars. And I said, hey, do you know how to fix a head gasket on a 4Runner? He said, yeah, just bring it over on Saturday, get the parts, we'll, we'll fix it. And so I showed up at his house on Saturday and we had towed the truck there and anyway, with the parts and uh, we started digging in and we started, uh, you know, unbolting things and tearing things off the top of this engine, knowing we had to get to the head, which was beneath all this other stuff that was in the way. So I, Jeremy was his name, Jeremy Goss. And I saw him just start taking things off. So I did too. And then I saw, saw him start to put things back on. And then I was, I was like, Hey, have you ever 
done this before? Have you ever changed a head gasket? He's like, no, no, but it's just nuts and bolts. Like we can figure this out. I was like, whoa, 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 dude, this is a big job. We shouldn't be doing this. He's like, this, this is how you learn anything. You just dig in and you figure it out along the way. And I was like, can we do that? We can change a head gasket if we want to. Okay. Well, I guess we will. And we made mistakes and yeah, the head was cracked and we had to figure out how to mill heads and do all this stuff. But now I guess, yeah, I know how to change a head gasket. <laughs> and, and we made some mistakes, but the truck ran after that. It took a couple of weeks to actually figure it out. Um, but that was, that was a really big moment for me and kind of paid dividends throughout my life, just like building companies or whatever. Some of this, you kind of have to be blind enough, or uh, as I say, dumb enough to try. And those are some of the most successful people that just are willing to try and try and have this growth mindset. And they, they don't even think about making mistakes. It's nothing for them. It's just water off of a duck's back. Mistakes are just part of the learning experience. So I've, I've really tried to become one of those people. I still fear mistakes, but um, I've run at them head on. Wow. And that is just the perfect illustration. Like you can never have know and understand the perfect execution of changing a head gasket until you've done it. And, uh, you know, so you just got to do it. And, you know, some might start with a little more knowledge ahead, but, <laughs> but you can always figure it out along the way. And yeah, now you get to add that to your resume. Right. Right. <laughs> That's great. So um, tell me what words of wisdom do you have for others who are looking to make their own impact in the world? Well, well, uh, like I said, I have these three core values or, or principles that I try to live by. One of them I've already mentioned, which is I play with all cards on the table. But the other one, like if they, if I die, there's probably going to be my kids would probably write something on my gravestone today if I if I died today. And that thing is do what you say or say something else. And this is one of those things that it's almost sounds reductive or it almost sounds too basic or simple, but it is so hard to do. And I, I've even gone so far in, or extreme to say that words are promises. And, and I try to live that like every word that I speak, that uh, if I say I'm going to do something, if I say I'm going to deliver results, if I say I'm going to mentor you, what does that mean? And if I say, I, how do I really back up those words with, with action? And so I, I'm not perfect. No one is perfect in this regard, but I really try to do it. Um, that if I say something, I, I'm there. If I say I'm going to show up, I'm there. If I say I'm going to get results, I move mountains to make them happen. Um, or I'll say something else like, hey, you know what? These results... We were ambitious. We thought we could get these results, but you know what? Turns out we we can't because of this reason. So we think we can get those results instead. And that's that's the the justice and mercy in that principle that I think need to be there. A lot of people are are happy to you know say that they'll do something, but they very infrequently reset expectations or reset or you know kind of share data or insights along the way that, Hey, you, this is, looks like it's going to be harder than we thought. Um, but that, that, that's something I try to live by. And I do think that that has helped me, um, great results that I wouldn't, wouldn't be able to without living by that principle. Wow. I, I love that principle in, and, uh, you're not wiggly with your words. And when we're wiggly with our words, we can, um, give ourselves way too much leeway to say yes and no without even consideration. And then when we do that, we're not super intentional with how we're using our time. And we, you know, that's kind of the definition of people pleasing. Other people are now dictating our time often. And, uh, because we just say yes to everything. Yeah. And then we figure like, we're going to just figure it out instead of being, cause when we, when we decide to be intentional, with our words, not only is that great in building trust, keeps us on our path saying yes and no appropriately, but also, um, you know, helps us set 
clear boundaries so that others are not dictating all of our time. Because yeah, if, if we're too wiggly, give us our, give ourselves too much room to just shift gears. Well, talk about funkiness in our relationships too. Right. Uh, you know, cause if you say yes and think like, there's no way I have time to do that or follow through or can make that happen. Then now you have this discomfort of trying to avoid that person, you know, that you, you know, instead of just doing the hard work initially and saying no, or being, uh, accurate with your words, uh, uh, now again, there's this funkiness and lack of trust and all that kind of yucky stuff. So, oh, I so agree with that. Um, that principle, what's yeah, your third it, principle? Oh, go ahead. <laughs> well, it can only happen if we, uh, own our words, if we're accountable to the words yep. we speak and, uh, Derek Sivers, it's a kind of a famous blog post. It's his words, but, and I try to live by this. It's either hell. Yeah. Or no, there are no yeses. You, you don't say yes to anything. You either say hell yeah, I want to be on the live and lead for impact podcast with Kirsten, <laughs> or it's a no, uh, everything is default to no, unless it's a hell yeah. And if you can give it a hell yeah, then go for it. But, and if, if you go for it, really go for it. Um, so, so, and that can only happen. And to, to your question, what's my third one, it's responsiveness and communication, just be responsive in communication, um, which again, communication is popping up. It's just one of those things. And I can't believe I've had to like teach people why this is important uh, because it just is important to me. Like if you, uh, like I can't, these folks, you know, I have friends that I'll text and I'm pretty sure they're not going to respond. And I'm like, what, how could you even live that way? That is, oh, that's just terrible. So yeah, if you reach out to me, if you, if, if, if I am willing to accept a conversation, give a hell yeah to a conversation with you, you can bet I'm going to play ball and I'm going to be responsive, not at the detriment of everything else, but you matter. And so I'm, I'm going to respond to you and, and I'm going to do so in a timely manner in a way that um, is the best way that I can possible, which is why volley, because you know what? A video message is even the best way because I can speak seven times faster than I can type. And I can give you 93% more of that communication picture than I would if I were going to text you back anyway. So I'm going to send you a volley because I love you. <laughs> That's awesome. And, you know, another, I think, kind of theme for today uh, during this interview is, uh, you know, clarification and staying out of the world of assumption and being responsive with our communication helps. That's like our part of the equation that we can control, which is um, giving a response and not leaving that other person in the world of all they have is assumption of why aren't they responding back or what mm -hmm. would the answer be if they did respond. And so let's all do our part to uh, stay in the world of fact and connection and, uh, and out of the world of assumption, clarifying conversations, always invite them and, uh, and uh, engage them if you need to ask if you have some unanswered questions. I love it. Yep. So uh, I want to thank you so much. And I'm really looking forward to checking out Volley further myself. Uh, if you, which I encourage you, uh, want to check it out, you can find it at volleyapp.com spelled the way you would expect v-o-l-l-e-y app app.com you can also find josh at linkedin he is oh little josh that was uh, a little different there so linkedin a uh, little josh and uh those links will also be in the show notes for today and you can find those by going to defeatthedrama.com click on the podcast tab and go to episode 
263, but absolutely check it out. Let's all make the commitment to up our communication, stay connected. Remember that we're all humans and yeah, do as much as possible, engage in communication that uses all of our uh, communication uh, power, which definitely includes all of those nonverbals. So thanks Josh for, uh, for joining me today. And I can't wait to see uh, that your next impact on the world. Well, thanks Kirsten. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, And get out there and make your own impact. Remember the world is waiting. Take care. 